Shabbat Shalom. This week we have a double parasha. Our first parasha is Tetzaveh, which means command, and covers Exodus 27.20 through 30.10. Now this parasha covers unique garments, food, and anointing for the priests, the Kohanim, as well as the altar of Adonai and the sacrifices. We begin at the end of Exodus 27 with the commandment for the priesthood to keep lamps burning eternally outside of the Holy of Holies. The parasha continues with Exodus 28, which details the garments for Aaron as the high priest of Israel. Now described in detail are the ephod, the breastplate, the robe, the woven tunic, the turban, and the sash he was to wear. Each of these items were beautifully crafted to very precise detail given by the Lord. Every aspect of it was determined by the Lord and given as a commandment. Now in Exodus 29, we read that for seven days, sacrifices of bulls and rams were offered before the Lord for Aaron, his sons, and the tent of meeting with the new sacrificial altar. Aaron and his sons were washed and anointed with oil to set them apart as the priesthood of Israel. The seriousness, the deliberateness, the, how deliberate, how serious, and how holy this consecration ceremony was is apparent in the details and how each sacrifice was to be offered. Everything is laid out in very specific detail by the Lord. Now, our parasha ends in Exodus 30 with the construction of the altar of incense to the Lord. Every morning and evening, Aaron was to offer incense to the Lord on this altar and also to tend to the lamps. No other offering was to be performed on this altar except the atoning sin offering during Yom Kippur. Now, this parasha can be summarized in a single theological principle, holiness. The word kadosh means holy, and it's found throughout this parasha. Now, kadosh means to distinguish, to set apart that which serves God's purposes from everything else. And so we see this idea of holiness in the garments of the priesthood, the sacrifices, and even in the anointing oil. All these things were set apart for God's special purposes. These items and sacrifices allow the Aaronic priesthood to intercede before our infinitely holy God on behalf of our people. It is only those who are holy who can stand before an infinitely holy God and not be destroyed. Now, the holiness of the Aaronic priesthood was given by the Lord through the Mosaic Covenant. Aaron was declared holy by the Lord's standard, not his own. Aaron did not create or earn his holiness, and that's very important. This holiness given by the Lord was to start with Aaron as our high priest and spread through his service to all of our people. So if the laws of God were obeyed through the Sinai covenant, we would all be declared to be holy, set aside to be God's treasured possession.
We would also be a kingdom of priests, holy to the Lord. Now, this idea of a kingdom of priests is repeated for us in 1 Peter 2, where those who are part of Messiah's community, as part of the new covenant, are also declared to be a priesthood, who also need to be holy to the Lord. But as the story of our people unfolds in the Torah, we will see in the very next parasha that Aaron really failed in his duty as priest of Adonai. The incident of the golden calf, which we'll be talking about in a moment, and the history of our people recorded throughout the rest of God's word shows how we failed over and over again to be priests that were holy to the Lord. But the Lord, in his mercy, knew that because of our fallen sinful nature, we would fail in meeting the standard of holiness set forth in his law. This was not because the law was flawed in some way, but because of our choices. So he sent the Messiah, Messiah Yeshua, who through his death, burial, and resurrection has become the sinless and perfectly holy high priest we desperately need. The writer of the letter to the Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, goes into great detail on this point. Now, our parasha makes it clear that there's only one, just one, standard of holiness. The Lord's. Not mine, not yours, not somebody on TV, God alone. The only way, and this is God's word, the only way to the Lord is through the way he has provided. So for us today in this generation, we must know Messiah Yeshua and accept the grace and forgiveness of sin provided through his sacrifice and his ministry as our high priest. And so in these chaotic and dark times, we must minister to those who are lost showing them the light of God reflected in our hearts through his spirit. Now we move from the light of God's holiness to a much more sinful parasha. Our second Torah portion for today is Kititza, which translates to when you lift up and covers Exodus 30.11 through 34.35. Now chapters 30 and 31 are more instructions from the Lord to Moses. And the Lord gave him instructions concerning the census tax, the bronze basin, more about the anointing oil, and the Sabbath. But I would like to focus our attention this morning to Exodus 32, which recounts one of the lowest points of our people's history, the sin of the golden calf. Now, Moses at this point had been gone for almost 40 days, and our people decided that it was likely he would not return. They then came to Aaron and told him that since, quote-unquote, this Moses was gone, they wanted new gods to replace Adonai. Now, Aaron, who, of course, right, we just read, has been consecrated as a high priest of Israel who's supposed to be holy to the Lord, whether out of fear of the people or sharing their fear that Moses was never coming back, decided to fulfill their request. 
He took gold they offered and from it created a golden calf or a golden bull. And it's interesting, Moses in the Torah uh, spends quite a bit of time talking about how Aaron actually crafted deliberately this golden calf. And that's going to be important here in a moment. But this idol, this calf or bull, was given the Lord's special name, his true name, and Aaron declared that the next day they would offer its sacrifices and celebrate. It was time to party with their new God. And they had a great time the next day, feasting and drinking and probably doing all sorts of things they shouldn't be doing. Now, this incident of idolatry was one of the lowest spiritual points in our people's history. Our people, from Aaron the high priest down, turned away from the Lord. We created a false god, gave it God's special name, and attributed to it the great miracles and blessings of Adonai. It's hard to picture a greater blasphemy. Now, Moses was not dead. He was on Mount Sinai with the Lord. And the Lord, who sees all things, informed Moses what our quote-unquote stiff-necked, a term which we use throughout the Torah to describe us, people had done. The Lord offered to destroy us and make a new people from Moses. Now Moses interceded before the Lord, and in his mercy he relented. Moses went down Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law the Lord had created in hand, and met Joshua, who had been waiting for him patiently at the base of the mountain. As they walked back, they see, as seeing the idolatry at the camp, Moses then smashes the tablets, showing how thoroughly the covenant with the Lord had already been broken. He then took the golden calf, ground it down into a fine powder, and forced our people to literally drink our idol. That's a punishment, and it sends a pretty powerful message. So Moses then turns to Aaron and asks, what happened here? What happened in the camp? Now Aaron immediately tried to blame Moses, and then he blamed our people. It was Moses' fault for leaving him here. It was the people's fault for forcing him to do this. He also tried to convince Moses that he had just thrown this gold into the fire and poof, out popped the golden calf. It was magic, Moses. I don't know what happened. That's why Moses spent so much time earlier talking about how Aaron made the thing, because he knows he's feeding him a lie. So Aaron claimed it had been supernatural, and it had been made by him. These excuses, of course, does nothing to call Moses. And seeing how our people were running wild thanks to Aaron, he stood at the gate of the camp, basically drew a line in the sand, literally, and asked for all who were for the Lord to stand with him. Now, our people at this time numbered about a million, and only the tribe of Levi, one of the smaller tribes, answered his call. And so they were told to kill many of the people for their sins, including some people that they knew. And after this was done, the tribe of Levi was ordained for service to the Lord, because they had been loyal to the Lord when nobody else had. The parashah continues with the Lord bringing a plague on our people. Moses interceded for us again. Our people repented from our sins, and then the covenant was renewed. Forty days later, Moses descended from Mount Sinai again with new tablets from the Lord, and this time found our people 
still loyal to Adonai. Now, it's easy to see the sins of our people in this parasha and assume if we had been there, we would have acted better. We've actually been talking about this in our Romans discussion uh, for the last several weeks. We, we covered that passage in Romans. But we are just as sinful, fearful, and self-obsessed as that generation in the wilderness. Perhaps even more, who knows? Truthfully, while the adversary is very real, that golden calf had nothing supernatural about it. It was dead and worthless. It did not jump out of the fire. Aaron deliberately crafted it, a point repeated several times. The reality is, is that while the adversary is at work in this world, we deliberately choose to sin and rebel against God. Not just in this parasha, but today as well. The idols might change, the lies and the reasons might grow more complex, but the same underlying ideas of pride and fear are as powerful motivators then as they are now. You know, there's another aspect of this parasha worth considering. Even in this great sin, the Lord reserved a remnant for himself. You know, there was one other person who had waited for Moses to return and had not turned away from him. One person who waited alone with a simple trust in the Lord. And that was Joshua. Overlooked, though, by many commentators and only mentioned briefly in the narrative, Joshua is the only person who did not sin like all the rest. You know, we read in Hebrews that, quote, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Joshua demonstrates this definition of faith. He had trust in the Lord and waited patiently alone for Moses' return. Just as Joshua waited for Moses' return, we as Messiah's community of Jews and Gentiles wait for the return of the one who is greater than Moses, Messiah Yeshua. Moses descended from Mount Sinai, and the Son of God will descend from the clouds. When Yeshua returns, all worthless and dead idols will be broken, and those who have placed their trust in them will become like them. So if you have placed your trust in any golden idols of politicians or philosophies or other religions, now is the day to reject those false idols for the only real source of truth, Messiah Yeshua alone. Those who have placed their faith in Al and I through faith in his son will experience blessings and rewards beyond earthly comprehension. Be sure you know which side of the line you're on. As we go through the wilderness of this world, we have to choose who we will put our faith in. Will we be moved by the fear of the Lord or the fear of man? Will we succumb to our desires for pleasure, for ease, for a good time? or have the patient, quiet faith of Joshua. May the Lord make us holy to him through his spirit. May the Lord give us all the faith of Joshua. May we remain loyal during times of testing as we look forward to everlasting life with him. Thank you.